buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. As always, I've got a fantastic guest for you today. I'm going to be talking with Daryl Evans. He is the co-founder over at Yokel Local. Uh, he's a serial entrepreneur, investor, co-founder, like I mentioned, of Yokel Local Internet Marketing. Him and his team have helped entrepreneurs and companies to generate over $300 million in revenue online since 2011. Daryl, welcome to the show. How you doing? Colin, I'm excited to be here with you, man. Uh, looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, for those that don't know, we got a double header going on today and we were having too much fun uh, just chatting here before we hit record. So I know that there's going to be a lot of uh, nuggets in here for the listeners, but just to give us some context here, give us a little bit of, you know, kind of where it all started, where, you know, you, what you, when you started in sales, what you were selling, and then let's take it from there. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, so early background it started in the t in my 20s uh, for sales, but I started my first business uh, out of the truck of my car when I was in college. I was wholesaling sportswear, t-shirts, hats. Uh, you know, I used to buy from a wholesale vendor uh, using this thing called a check and you put it in the mail uh, for all the listeners that are internet uh, native, right? This is pre-internet days and I would send a check out into the worldwide USPS system and hope that the product would show up and it did. Uh, back up my car in a swap meet um, out of my Honda Civic and sell some sportswear. So I was in the commerce business, the truck commerce business, not the e-commerce business. Uh, but my first days of sales happened in real estate. I uh, got a real estate license in 1992 while I was still in college. And as you and I were chatting about, I, I just, um, I, you know, real estate back then, it was all the things you could think of, cold calling, door knocking, you know, yeah. flyers in rental properties. And um, that was where I chopped, I, I cut my teeth in sales. Mm, real estate, huh? Real estate. It was, wow. uh, it, it was, it, it was interesting. I loved real estate, uh, but I didn't think of it as a career. I, I enjoyed the idea. I ended up getting a finance degree while I was in college and uh, transitioned into the mortgage industry uh, after another short stint in the financial services world. So my sales background tracks through real estate, uh, well, you can call it the sportswear business, but real estate, more uh, financial services, think uh, life insurance, health insurance, CDs, yeah. mutual funds, et cetera, into the financial services world of the mortgage industry, which was a 12-year track for me. And I co-owned a mortgage company during that window of time and did well over 7,000 consultations during that window, I think closed around 1,800 loans. And so that was, you know, that was where the mustard was... Uh, was uh, was diced up, and then now 11, 12 years later, in our digital marketing agency, we've had for 11 years, and 
you mentioned the 300 million we've done for clients. So now we obviously figured out uh, one of the big passions I have now is helping companies generate sales or generating the lead that brings in the sale uh, for companies uh, to fuel their growth. Yeah, well, I'm always intrigued by people that, uh, you know, have a good track record in both sales and marketing, you know, because I think it these days to understand both at at least, uh, you know, somewhat of a basic level, maybe you're stronger on one side or the other is pretty much essential. I mean, to be a good marketer, you need to know, you know, you need to understand the sales side of the coin of like, what is a good lead for sales? Not just like, Hey, I got a lead to fill out a form, but like, what are the, what are the leads that sales are actually going to close? Right. And to be good in sales, like you need to understand, you know, you need to somewhat be a good marketer these days as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, th- I was very lucky to start in the in, in industries that had what I would call long-term sales cycles. You know, never an emergency to buy a house, never an emergency to sell a house, never an emergency to get a mortgage. I mean, you could argue that when rates are dropping and and you know rates could fluctuate, you might argue that a refinance could be urgent. But in in my experience, uh, Colin, mm-hmm. none of those scenarios were urgent. So it made me understand the idea of pipeline. It gave me a clear understanding of long-term relationship building because Colin, listen, if you come to me and let's just say hypothetically, you wanna buy a house and you're in a lease uh, of an apartment today and you've got four months left on your lease. Well, I've gotta work with you now over the next four months, five months, six months. If you're like, I used to work with the military folks uh, in, in VA loans and VA transfers. If someone's got orders to come to Nellis Air Force Base here in Las Vegas where I'm at, those orders may come out 12 months in advance, 10 months in advance. So they may call to inquire about real estate or call to inquire about the financing 10 months early. Does that Mm -hmm. mean they need to do a pre-qualification application today? No, right? They need to understand what it's gonna take. Can they use their VA again because they already have the VA on the property in, in Texas? Can they still use the VA? And so understanding VA entitlement was, I mean, so what I'm getting at is I learned early on, Colin, that the best salespeople are good, uh, they become resources to their prospective customer in such a way that you essentially eliminate competition. So what most people would do is if if you weren't ready yeah. to buy a home or you weren't ready to get a mortgage and you don't close today or you don't start the process today, they pretty much move on to the next lead. And I never under, I never thought about it that way. I was always like, oh, if I stay in touch with them once a month over the next 10 months, I probably have a better shot. And that was what I er, I learned early on about sales. And that was being, I, I understood the BANT formula. I got taught this in my early 20s. And B-A-N-T is what it stands for. It's an old school sales philosophy. And it really had more to do with pre-qualifying a prospect. But I just started saying, okay, what does it mean? Budget? Do they have the budget to buy the thing that they want to buy? Do they have the authority to make the decision? And I'll tell you why, how I flipped that word over uh, from a sales perspective. Do they really have a need to transact this business um, at all? I mean, is it a want or is it a need? We could talk about vitamin versus painkiller and then timing. And so what I learned was it is important that you find out if they have a budget. That's true. You, d- you got to find out if they have the authority to make the sale. But here's the other piece. We all agree in sales that people buy from people they like, know, and trust. So I flipped it on its head and said, can I make sure that I'm the authoritative person that they think they should buy from, not just are they the authority to make the purchase? And then I'm like, okay, is this a need or is this a want? 
meaning you're transferring from Lackland to Nellis, but do you have to buy a house, right? Is it mm -hmm. a need or is it a want? So I would always be okay with that variable. And then last piece, Colin, that I think would make salespeople uh, elevate their game <clears throat> is understand that you can't control timing. Even if there is a quote unquote triggering event that would likely make them want to purchase, your job is to understand you don't control timing, they do. And so I just learned something early in my days around the world of sort of quotas and pipelines to understand patience <laughs> and understand the long game and understand it was all about relationship development. And I developed a phrase many, many years ago called my job to be good in sales is to develop relationships and over time get a return on those relationships. And so it's a different perspective that I just developed in my 20s and 30s. And of course, online, it is very much the same thing. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I know Bant is a, is a old school sales, you know, uh, framework of, of figuring those, those things out, but there's that last piece that I think a lot of, um, and, and, and there's even like more that you can unpack there, right? Like, okay, you know, is there, is there a need or is there a problem and do they actually care about solving that or not? And then timing is hundred percent timing. I think the timing is where a lot of salespeople struggle, right? Cause mm -hmm. they want to try to control the timing. And this kind of right. ties back to what you said previously, which I think is, is so important. And, uh, I was talking about this recently because so many salespeople, you know, uh, go into sort of a bant mentality into mm -hmm. a relationship with the prospect. And it typically sounds more like an interrogation, like, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and it's yes. a horrible experience and yeah. it actually backfires. Right. And so, yeah, you need to find those things out. But when like, you're only concerned about finding those things mm -hmm. out and not actually like giving a rip about the person, um, mm -hmm. then it can come off really the wrong way. And so 100%. what you mentioned earlier, which I'm totally in agreement with is you can't control the timing piece. Well, many salespeople try to. And the thing is, is as soon as they find out like, oh, you aren't in market right now, you're not going to help me hit this quarter's quota. Um, they stop giving a rip. They, hey, I'll check back in you know a quarter. They don't stay top of mind. Yep. They, you don't hear from them until... Hey, is it time to buy? <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Right? Right. So, and, right. and so what I like to kind of flip that is, is, you know, I'm trying to give people a good experience in all interactions, you know, whether they have the budget, you know, because I've actually found some of the people that I have conversations with, and this is what I like to teach my team is like the goal is to make sure they have a good experience, regardless of the outcome, which in a lot of cases, even if you do everything right, you can't control. They, you know, and, and, and so, because what I found is even some of those people that we can deliver a good experience to, mm -hmm. um, they become some of your best brand ambassadors or referral sources, or you name it, customers down the road, whatever the case is. And so many people get so wrapped up in like, oh, they're not in market right now. So I'm not yeah. going to give a rip about the person. Yeah. And, and also, you know, focus on what you can control, which is what you do, how you do it, the frequency that you do it, but you can't control whether they buy or not. In a lot of cases, you can do everything right and you still might lose more than you win. Right. You know, I think uh, a lot of great points there. And, and I would 
you just think of a couple of things that just jumped out at me as, as you talked about that. You talked about that BANT formula being this old school interrogation. Yeah. And that comes from the idea that you're trying to get something you want without yeah. being empathetic to what they want. And so that's like point number one. I, no matter what my sales pipeline looked like, and I don't know when this level of maturity came across my my being, but it be, it just, it didn't matter what my pipeline looked like. It didn't, what my bills looked like. It didn't look like what my sales quota looked like. I was never interested in trying to move them further faster than they mm. wanted to move. See, yeah. I don't care. It doesn't matter what my books look like. It doesn't matter if my pipeline is down a million dollars or whatever the case is. I'm not interested in trying to move you further faster than you want to move. That's point number one. Point yeah. number two is this high now versus high later. There's only four types of prospects you're ever going to talk to. Someone who's a good prospect and they want to move now. Someone who's a good prospect and they want to move later. Someone who's a bad prospect and they want to move now. Someone who's a bad prospect and they want to move later. Two of those people you shouldn't talk to, right? Mm -hmm. And that's another problem that salespeople make is that they try to close everybody. <laughs> well, everybody's not your customer. And so I learned in my early days to define what I call a five-star prospect, mm. right? Who is, and we talk about this in the online space, who is your ideal customer? So when I started in real estate, uh, let me fast forward to the mortgage industry because it actually gets a little bit cleaner for me there. Uh, I'm going to actually go to financial services and then show you how I've transitioned this and how we make this work online. When you're starting new in a career or starting new or you want to even add a source of revenue to your business or your book, you've got to get really honed in on who it is that you're trying to target one person. When I started in financial services right out of college and I only talked to attorneys, how did, why was it that I decided to talk to attorneys? Well, because attorneys talk a little differently than doctors who talk a little differently than architects who talk a little differently than CPAs who talk a little differently than managers of the uh, uh, casinos here in Vegas. There's those personality types are different. They may all make great money. They may all want the same thing. They may mm -hmm. all want to retire and, and plan for their college education for their kids, but they talk differently. And if you get an understanding of personality profiles and what I call um, uh, human behavior studies, you will figure out that you're not going to mesh well with everybody, even if they're good customers. So that was one of the things. Fast forward to the mortgage lending industry. When I got in that industry, Colin, I only talked to first time home buyers for the first two and a half to three years. Why? Because I could understand their cadence. I could understand their concerns. I knew exactly what they were thinking. I knew mm -hmm. how to solve their problem. I knew how to alleviate their fear versus talking to the investor who's buying their sixth investment property, who's money bottom line driven. So there's two different problems. The, the investor, they're only looking at the numbers. I used to sell property to investors sight unseen as long as the numbers penciled. Mm. A first time home buyer could never do that. They had to see the house 18 times, right? Yeah. They need to see 34 good faith estimates from 14 lend. I mean, those are two different customers. And so going back to the point of you need to understand your customer and the psychology of your customer. And then if you move that forward to what we do online today, your marketing gets better when you understand the psychology of your customer, your customer, not customers. You can't sell to everybody. We don't yeah. sell to SaaS and local and corporate America and, and, and. Our company name is Yokel Local. 
And it doesn't mean that we haven't done that. We have sold outside of local, but you've got to understand just like I didn't sell first time buyers for 12 years. I ended up selling investors and multifamilies and wealthy properties and affluent people, but you've got to start somewhere. So you understand the psychology of that customer and hone in your skill. And then Bant becomes just a piece of cake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many good things there. I mean, I think that's a big problem for a lot of sellers and marketers where they try to serve too many people, right? Yep. And I think that it's just that a lot of people are scared. Like if I go too narrow, too niche, then I'm gonna be turning away business. But the reality is, is you're actually just bloating your pipeline with a lot of deals that you're probably never gonna close anyway. Yep. And they're gonna and, see, they're gonna see right through it. They're gonna see right through you, right? If you sell from a scarcity mentality, if you sell to a prospect who's more educated than you about it, um, you're going to lose the sale anyway. And right. when I first got into the financial services world in the mortgage side of things, I didn't know what investment financing looked like. I didn't know what commercial bridge financing looked like. I didn't know what construction to permanent housing, meaning somebody building a custom home. I didn't know what that looked like. What I knew yeah. was I knew FHA and I knew conventional. And I just decided that if I just focused on first time buyers, I had two choices. Are you putting down 3% or 5%? Do you want PMI or whatever FHA is, MIP? I could really dial that down. It's like a good chef, right? A good chef and the, the I'm, a, I'm a foodie, so I'm a big, big time foodie. I'm a cook in the kitchen. I'm not a chef. Uh, people ask me all the time, you'd like to cook all the time. Are you a chef? No, I'm a cook. There's a difference. Um, uh, but great chefs, take similar recipes as other great chefs and then they add something to it that gives it its uniqueness and then they own their market they own their brand if you go into your thought process of owning the customer journey and owning what's going on psychologically with them your sales will just get easier there was no shortage of first-time home buyers in my day ever mm -hmm. there still isn't to this day right even in this crazy market that we're in uh, there was never a shortage of local business owners when we started the digital marketing company it, there just isn't a shortage, it's just scarce mentality. Um, and it comes back to not having a framework for understanding who it is you want to sell to, who is it you're good at selling to, number one. And I look at the word selling as solving. Who can you really solve a problem for based on your current level of expertise? So there's yeah. no reason for me to try to solve corporate America. We did, we, we worked in corporate America with some big companies that I'll leave off the name here. But we realized that when we were in that space, we didn't do our best work because there yeah. were different rules up there. Like there's yeah. different rules when you're helping a fortune thousand giant or fortune 100 giant who has 28 people in the department and yeah. they bring you in to do projects versus a small to mid-sized company, which is what we specialize in, who are companies that went from startup to 2 million to 5 million to 10 million to 30 million. Those companies look different than $4 billion a year companies. We decided to play in this space where we could add value. That means if you come to us, big Mr. Miss Corporate America, we're out of the conversation. That means understanding we're just not a good fit for you. It doesn't mean we couldn't help you. It just means mm. we're choosing not to. And that's us choosing not to make the sale. Yeah, that takes a lot of discipline for people. Um, and I think it's hard because it's definitely like hard to turn away money. But but sure. you know, <laughs> the problem is is like it's short term it's short term money, you know. It's yeah. it's yeah. customers that are gonna it's customers My that are going to churn and, and, and you really nailed it is like, okay, you know, when you try to serve too many different types of 
people, personas, companies, industries, whatever the case is, you don't do your best work and you're, you know, you can be better and specialize in your specific niche and do your best work. And then you, you, then you can minimize churn and, 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 and increase, you know, uh, long-term, you know, customer value and all these other things that are important to having a sustainable, profitable business. Mm-hmm. And one that actually serves your life. Let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit, right? If you're a salesperson and you have, look, everybody wants to get into cruise control at some point. I don't care what the word is out there, the hustle, the grind mentality. At the end of the day, it takes some of that to get anything launched. I mean, Colin, you know this, you've launched and grown four companies. So like, listen, it does take some grit, some grind and some sleepless nights to get a venture off the ground. If you're a salesperson and you don't get paid a salary, as far as I'm concerned, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, right? You don't have to have your name on the shingle, but if you don't get paid a salary and you don't get paid a $80,000 base with all these bonuses plus stipends, you're self-employed. That being said, if you get real refined about who it is you want to sell to and who you want to be an expert to and who do you want to be known as, your life gets easier because when you're dealing in a league that's out of your league, for example, when I'm a first-time homebuyer guy at that time and I'm trying to deal with the million, I did, I had a million and a half dollar um, custom build. I was out of my league, dude. I had no effing clue what in the hell I was doing. And so because of that, it was taking me hours. But guess what I was doing? I was chasing a million and a half dollar deal because guess what? A million and a half times your commission rate. I did the math, (laughs) right? I did the math. (laughs) It was the hardest deal of my life, right? And the funny thing was, was after I closed it once, I actually didn't have an appetite to do it again. So someone would say, well, Daryl, why wouldn't you want to close million and a half dollar deals every day, all day? I'm like, because A, those deals are few and far in between. This is back in the in the, in the early 2000s. And B, I, I don't have enough at-bats at that kind of deal. You know how many at-bats I get with a first-time home buyer? 50 a month. Yeah. So guess what I can build now? Routine, systems processes around the routine which allows me to scale see if i have this custom deal i have to do every month i've got to reinvent myself every month and so i don't want to get into that tangent but your job in sales how did i do sales seven thousand sales consultations close 1800 loans but that that's a pretty decent close rate if i do say so myself it had nothing to do with the product it had to do with the type of person I was willing to work with and who I was willing not to work with. That's the key and right that there. that <laughs> became clear. And it yeah. wasn't that they were bad people. None of them were bad people. It's just that, the you know, listen, here was the person that I wouldn't work with back in those days. And I know we're talking about those days versus today. But if you came to me and just told me, hey, I want to get a good faith estimate from you so I can compare rates, you're not my customer. Yeah. Because you're what's called a rate shopper. And I'm okay with you being prudent about getting a good rate, but I don't need the practice to sit down and produce a good faith estimate just so you can go work with your bank, which was, you know, one of the big name banks in the country. Let them give you one. And if you don't like their rate, come talk to me later. And so I just made a distinction that if that's all they wanted to talk about, I had other things I could do. I wanted to help people who needed help, not someone who already knew they were qualified, already just trying to penny pinch. First of all, I just don't like people that try to squeeze so much off the apple. Like it needs to be a fair transaction for both parties. You know, I get paid. I don't get paid unless I close the loan. Now you want me to work in advance for no reason. Mm. So no, I just, I just decided 
that there were certain characteristics of customers that if they leaned in that sort of direction, I would bow out from the transaction and never be worried that there were going to be a shortage of leads. There were, there were times when I was taking 50 new customers a month into the process. That's not a shortage of people. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, 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 and there's, there's the key there is knowing who is the ideal you know, prospect to work with and knowing who isn't and being disciplined enough to walk away from those opportunities that you know right. are not the people that you serve best. You right. know, the in yeah. your in your in your example there, the rate shopper, right? Yeah. But another example that I think everybody in sales can relate to is the person that's quick to just price. What's the price? What's the price? What's the price? Send me a proposal. And sellers get really uh, excited, overly excited, like they want a price. They're ready yeah, to I buy. Don't. They're qualified. Yeah, Let's go. <laughs> um, and you actually, you know, to to not bloat your pipeline with a bunch of stuff that's probably never going to close, you actually need to hit the brakes on those people, slow them down a little bit and say, look, I don't even know if you need what I have. I don't even know if that's you have right. a problem that you even care about solving. And I don't even that's know right. if I'm the right person the to solve person. that problem for you. Tell them something, Colin. Tell them. <laughs> and, <laughs> Tell them. And, uh, and they're like, oh, you know, and some sellers can get scared because they're like, well, if I tell them all that, they might go away. Great. Good. That's great. You just saved Good. yourself 52 follow-ups, 33 emails, and 15 personalized videos when they're you. ghosting you. <laughs> hey, right? you guys, if you guys aren't taking in what Colin just said, if if they need to leave, listen, how do I tell someone that they're not a good fit for me? It's not like I'm rudely saying, hey, Colin, by the way, you're just not a good customer for me. They say, well, I've got already back in the day, I, I've already got rate quotes from this company, this company, this company, and I'm the fourth company on the list. Because by the way, that was one of those other bad things that used to happen in the industry. Oh, you should get three quotes from three lenders. That's a bunch of bull. You should find the person you trust and believe that they're going to give you a fair rate. If you go to the store, do you go and do you rate quote how much milk costs off the shelf? No, milk costs $2.99 if it's if it's the name brand and if it's the store bought private label, it's $2.82. Is 16 cents going to, it all comes from the same place. So, it, um, but banks could do something that we couldn't as broker bankers, which means because we were wholesaling and they were, they owned the servicing and they owned the whole bit and they didn't pay their loan officers commission. The loan officers were paid quasi salary plus a little bitty, little bitty, little bitty bonus. So they would give away the loan in order to get the business because they had a business model that says, oh, if they buy a loan, they'll open a bank account, they'll open a savings account, they'll buy a car loan, they'll get a credit card. In fact, when you close the loan, they'll make them get the credit card and open the bank account at that moment. I don't have that as an independent broker. So I already know what the game looks like. So I understood the rules of the yeah. game. So if you've got a loan, for, uh, a quote from these th two or three banks, I'm out of the conversation unless they piss you off or they do something you just don't like then come back and see me. I'm not going to win the game anyway, and I'm not going to lower my fee to get to where they're at because they have five other products they sell you, and it's part of the model. I'm not yeah. mad at the model, but the model is the model. They're a bank. Now, here, now <laughs> right? here's the thing about that. You know, if there's something that comes up or there's a problem or there's that's an right. issue that's in right. the process, that's right. you think the person that's getting no commission is going to care? <laughs> at all. No, they're still getting at their all. paycheck at the end of the day. The relationship yeah. with you doesn't matter. They're not, they that's don't right. care if you send them a referral. They don't care right. if some, there was a kink in the process and it didn't work out. They're going home at 5 p.m. and they're still getting right. the same salary that they got whether they did a good job or not. 100%, 100%. You know, and I'm not beating up, uh, by the way, just so I'm clear, I'm not beating up anybody that worked at a bank and, and did well. No. I'm not saying that. What I'm, 
the, we're just picking on we're, we're just the, picking on them a little bit, using them the, as an example. <laughs> the point we're making is you are in control of your business. You're in control. You're in control of who do you want to be in the marketplace. I decided that I wasn't going to be a rate junkie. That was what we called it in the game. I decided I'm not going to be a rate junkie. I'm going to be an advisor. Like that's how I approached my business. I'm an advisor. I'm not a an, a loan officer. And that simple distinction means you behave in a different way. Which means if they came in saying, "Hey, I need a rate quote for an FHA loan," I'd ask, "Why do you want to do an FHA loan?" It's not because I don't want to talk them out of the FHA loan because I made more money to sell conventional. That wasn't the case. It was, why do you want an FHA loan? Or they say, hey, I want to put 20% down on the house. Why do you want to put 20% down on the house? I just want to understand. And if I can understand what your goals and objectives are, A, I can now open up opportunities for conversation because what happens is most people ask for what they know to be common because their friends or family did it. But that mm -hmm. may not be okay for you. The person who's wealthy who puts down 20% to avoid PMI versus the first-time buyer who's going to put pretty much every dollar in their bank account into this house, you're telling me you want to put 20% down on a house, drain your bank account, and if you ever need the money again, you got to come back to me and borrow it? You think mm. that's smart? Like, I would just simply have that conversation, and most loan officers wouldn't. They just take the 20% down, drain the first-time homebuyer's account, and... Three months later, they may have had a life event because life events happen and now they're struggling and now we come back and strap on a stupid home equity line of credit and I'm letting you borrow back the money that was in your bank six or eight or 12 months ago. It was the dumbest. <laughs> uh, don't let me get, don't let me get started. <laughs> don't let me get uh, started. Now we are picking on bankers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was one of them for 12 years. So uh, let's be clear. Uh, I found the problems in the industry and again, tw 2008, 2009 happened. Uh, I, I just was so disgusted because I just couldn't, I used to take people out of loans, Colin, that I was just like, who in the F did this to you? Like I yeah. wanted to throw blows at some of these people, man. Like Mike Tyson, I wanted to haymaker <laughs> these people. What the hell did they do to put you in this mess? So anyway, yeah. um, I don't know how we got off track on this, but sales is, is the topic of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so let's let's fast forward a little bit. When, when and why did you decide to make the jump from sales to marketing? Leverage. I made it in my 20s. I didn't, I hated cold calling. I, I didn't mind doing it. I did it. I knew how to do it. I read all the scripts. I got, I, I did it, but Some it just Some would argue icky. cold calling is a marketing activity. I, maybe, maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I think you're actually right because in the, the days when I was taught it as a real estate agent, I was taught to call uh, for sell by owners, which doesn't really exist today, but people that wanted to sell their house without paying a commission, call their house, call them, talk to them about why that'd be a biggest mistake of their life. Cause there's all these legal ramifications, blah, 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 yeah. and get an appointment to show them your marketing plan. Um, if the house would have been on the market for six months and it expired, it was an expired listing. It became available. You could call them after the listing agreement was ended, et cetera, et cetera. And that gen, so all of that was what I got taught. And I just, it just never felt good because A, the house expired on November 1st and 400 realtors were calling the same day. What was I really going to say that was uniquely different, right? Nothing. Yeah. Uh, for sale by owner, anybody could drive through the neighborhood and see the sign and, and knock on the door and get on their nerves and they were eating dinner and I just hated it. And so I just said, there's got to be a better way. It happened to be that I found a guy who understood the world of direct response marketing uh, as taught back then by Dan Kennedy. Uh, so I ended up kind of uh, getting involved in his world of learning uh, direct response copywriting, using direct mail, using classified ads, using 
what I called um, uh, tree lines, whereby someone could call 1-800 and get free information, which today you see that on landing pages, right? Yeah. Come over to xyz.com forward slash free gift and download the white paper, the checklist, the webinar, whatever. That's what I did in the 800 hotline world back in my in the 90s. So the invitation was, um, you know, it would be something to the effect, uh, you know, five ways to sell your home on your own, right? I'd help them do the thing that they wanted to do. And I give them five tips on this voice line. And if they were interested in having a conversation with me, only if they were interested beyond the five tips, would they leave their name and number and it would lead to me calling them, setting up an appointment and going out. So I started understanding that model better. And then that fast forward to uh, 2003, four, when the world of the internet started really taking off from a consumer uh, demand standpoint. And then the day I got my first uh, smartphone, which wasn't an iPhone, it was a Blackberry. I knew it was a game over. I knew leverage, I knew internet leverage was the deal. I knew that getting in front of the customer journey, because back then I'm competing with Quicken Home Loans, uh, LendingTree.com, Lower My Bills. Once I saw those companies blowing up, I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, consumer behavior has changed forever and I need to understand how that works. And so that's what I jumped on LinkedIn. I started a YouTube account in 2007, started recording videos. So I'm kind of OG mm. with this. And so that's what led to when the market crashed in 09, um, me looking around at the business community saying, man, business owners don't get what's happening right now. They just don't. And so I was like, I could do, you know, and it was, there were some other things that underlying in the mortgage industry. Obviously, you could tell from my energy earlier, my taste buds to the way things happened in 08 <laughs> uh, just let me, it just opened the door for me to find my, my uh, a step into another gift that I had developed that a lot of people hadn't developed, which was turning perfect strangers into customers using third-party tools like direct mail, classified ads, today it's the internet, but doing so in a way that was empathetic to where they were in their own buyer's journey. Mm. And that is what I've been teaching and talking about and preaching. And I'm uh, there's all, by the way, I just said this a couple of weeks ago on a show. And to me, the digital marketing space feels very much as nasty <laughs> and as scammy as some of the days in the mortgage industry where people, I, I, I talk to business owners, Colin today, and they are in such a jam. They're in such a mess from somebody else who quote unquote yeah. call themselves an SEO expert or whatever, whatever. And I'm unwrapping and unwinding my agency, myself, my consultant. We're unwrapping the garbage that somebody put them in online. And online is wherever that is to them. And so that unfortunately, uh, there's some similarities. You didn't have to be qualified to get in the mortgage industry. I hate to say it in my state, $200 in fog of mirror and you were good. This was back in the early 2000s. And today in the digital marketing space, it's no different. Business owners can't tell that somebody took a course for a hundred bucks. And by the way, it's coming up on Black Friday right now at the time we're recording this, those courses will get discounted to $19. And somebody over a weekend can lay their hat in a shingle as a digital marketing expert and start taking business owners money. And it's a shame because they have no skill at the craft. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. Or, or in a lot of cases, they don't even understand it at all. They just know how to sell it. And they just have the words. They got to, the, yeah. you know, who knows who. Yeah, it, they're good and, with the words. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's they just use the words and a business owner has no clue. And that's and the then, thing that... <clears throat> the, thing, the thing that really sucks about it is that then they got all these black eyes and bloody noses from those experiences. And they think like, oh, this 
you know, Facebook ads don't work. Yep. SEO doesn't work. All day, every and, day. And it's not that it doesn't work. It's just that they didn't have the right team That's to right. execute on things that do work. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, Daryl, it has been fabulous having you on. Yeah. This was a lot Same of fun. Here, yep. uh, any final Fire. thoughts? <laughs> Where can people connect with you? What are we going to include in the show notes for them? You know, uh, Colin, thanks for having me, man. We got fired up. I always enjoy talking with other leaders like yourself, sales pros. Uh, listen, thanks for having me. Uh, you can find me since you've been listening to this show. Uh, I have a podcast called the MindShift Podcast. We talk with interviews, experts, and thought leaders about their journey from inspiration to realization, which is how did they build something from scratch um, and, and turn it into success. But more importantly, we break down the journey from when life knocked them down. How did they get back up and what I call breakdown to breakthrough. And uh, Colin, I'm super excited that uh, you're going to be on the show. So uh, if they can follow us at the MindShift Podcast, you can find us wherever you're listening to this show. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.